Hello and welcome to the TripCast. I'm Mark Halpern of Time Magazine. They say we should keep Austin weird. Doesn't seem to me it requires much effort. Here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the final week of November. And very little effort is what we will be putting into this one, I think. Oh, my God. Especially from editor-in-chief and CEO Evan I Smith. The tryptophan is waving over me right now. You know, the tryptophan thing is like a total myth, right? It is. This is Reeve's mission, is to spread around the office. He's how... a tryptophan truther? <laughs> yes, he is. You know, but the difference is, I mean, the, the word truther sort of often denotes something that people don't actually think, the majority don't think to be true. But the truth is that tryptophan is unlikely the cause of your need to nap after you eat turkey. Uh, Morgan Smith, reporter of the Texas Tribune, is also here. Hello. Do you believe in this? I believe in science. Oh, really? No, that's a great uh, foreshadowing. Your scorecard grade is an F, (laughs) I'm afraid. Ben Philpott of KUT and the Texas Tribune is also here. Hello. I think it's the third piece of pecan pie that puts me to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of the the tryptophan. Oh, where to begin? We now now have our second topic. Yeah. Yeah, Let's move on to our next topic, uh, which is we, we talked about this a lot on the last podcast, but since then... Uh, Leticia Vanderpute has officially gotten into the lieutenant governor's race. Morgan, you were there. Did it uh, did it change everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we saw a Democratic candidate who was very certain of the message that she wanted to deliver. And part of that message was, Mama ain't happy. That was very Ann Richards of her. I actually thought her, the the way she said that was was something. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was an entertaining kind of lighthearted speech that also touched on a lot of deeper issues. I mean, Senator Vanderbilt talked about some of the personal tragedy that she's had. She talked about the importance of family in her life, but then she also delivered on some of the substance and talked about how Republican the Republican Party that has controlled Texas has forgotten about mainstream. Mainstream Texas voters have lost track of their priorities because they're just so afraid of their um, their Republican primary voters. And I think that's something that ties nicely into um, the current Republican primary for lieutenant governor. And um, so we'll, I think we'll probably look forward to more attacks of that sort from Van de Pute as we find out in March, probably after March, in a runoff, who the, her Republican opponent is going to be. You're not a believer that somebody can put this away? On primary day? I mean, it could happen. I mean, anything could happen, but if no. you have four That's, candidates running against each truther. other. She's That's a runoff the, truther. The motto of this podcast <laughs> I believe is anything in science. Can anything can happen. Ben was at lunch talking about uh, how Leticia Vanderbilt can sort of be the well, Joe Biden of this race. I, I've, I've heard from someone, and I, I, for, I, honest, Joe Biden of I don't race. remember. I honestly don't remember if this person was a Republican or a Democrat. But they or if said they were that real they, or just in your head. They, well, I'm pretty sure they were not in my head. But they uh, they did say that they thought Leticia Vanderbilt could be kind of the Joe Biden uh, of this race, meaning that she might be more likely to go off script or say things uh, maybe a little what some people might consider a little awkwardly and a little forcefully. Some that, more uh, curse words? More uh, colorfully. More colorfully. You know there what? you go. But I think there's no script. I think that's the well, great thing for her is that she's going to say what she wants to say. I mean, she, she's never exactly been no. um, on script 
anyway. Or or one to be shy of. I mean, you yeah. know, my, my, one of my favorite moments of hers in the Texas legislature is when she got up and uh, offered the more sex amendment to the gay marriage amendment, saying if you really, the you know, Republicans were pushing the gay marriage amendment as this is something that will save traditional marriage. And she said, you want to save traditional marriage? Force <laughs> the couples to have more sex. And so she offered it straight faced, no smile. Uh, as an amendment to this to this bill back uh, when was it 2005 and it's great i mean this is something that's coming from the mother of six a grandmother right. <laughs> who is the mother of six children and it's you know it's just kind of that contrast i think is part of the appeal that that van de Pue can probably offer to be fair ag candidate republican ag candidate barry smitherman has made the same proposal did he call really? it the same thing no but he's just encouraged uh couples to procreate as much as possible. Well, Joel Osteen does the same thing, so it's not exactly What's a, he running for? <laughs> maybe governor one day. Who knows? I, I think Vandepute versus Dan Patrick, not that I'm making any predictions about this, but as far as a, a general election race goes, if you're going to have Vandepute versus Dan Patrick, that'd be a fun one, Morgan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and a fun one to watch. Well, let's... Uh, we also learned since the last podcast that there is at least one Democratic state senator that will not be running statewide this cycle, and that's Carlos Uresti, who decided not to run for Texas Attorney General. It really does look like it's going to be uh, Davis and Van Depute and not a whole lot below them. On the t- I mean, Mike Collier is, you know, seems like a solid enough guy. Right. Um, you have this Sam Houston guy who I'm, you know, not particularly aware of the partic- you know, the details of him, except he has that name, which makes me think he's not serious, but everybody keeps saying he is serious. Well, I think his parents gave him the name. Well, it's like people have changed their <laughs> they names to like Dairy Queen or something. Yeah. It's like these, these it's like a Dairy gimmick. Queen. It's like a gimmick name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then your your uh, uh, friend uh, Kinky, for who, who, who does have a Democratic challenger. He might be the only uh, Democrat with a challenger. Who that? It's well, his challenger in the race. But who yeah. is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a Democrat. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up. Come on. Dang it. Um, so it's going to be just two. And look, the the Alana Rocha had a piece on the Tribune and in the Times this weekend that talked about women as the strategy for Democrats next cycle. And you know, sure, why? <laughs> well, why not? You got to have a strategy. Right. There have been years in which there seems not to have been any strategy. This is not a bad strategy, and they try to appeal to people who feel like they're not having their voices heard, as Senator Vandepute said on that night uh, over the summer. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a maybe there are votes out there that would not traditionally go Democratic that will. That'll trickle down to Mike Collier. No, but <laughs> but I but I, I actually think it's not a bad. It's if you're going to have a strategy, why not have that be the strategy? There's a lot out in the air, whether it's abortion or equal pay, that have women's hackles up at some places, and maybe they're going to get some people who wouldn't traditionally vote Democratic. Well, and even if you look at it from the uh, battleground Texas viewpoint of, I mean, you know, none of these people are running because they think they're just going to strengthen the party and then lose. I would assume, but. Uh, you know, the whole idea of Battleground Texas trying to, you know, create more relationships and make inroads and different things. So you spend the entire 2014 cycle working on women and maybe the suburban women, and that's bound to put the party in a in a better position next time around. Didn't Vandepute say on Saturday, Morgan, specifically, I'm not running to help the Democratic Party per se. I'm I'm running to win. Right. I mean, and I think as a candidate, you I mean, that is kind of what you have to say. I think it's the mindset you have to be, not just what you say. To be taken seriously. But but yeah, absolutely. And and Vandepute certainly um, 
kind of hammered Republican leadership on areas that she said they had, you know, not um, been helpful to women, um, including, you know, she didn't mention the word abortion, but she talked about defunding women's health care. And she said that if she's elected governor, that women would never be treated the way that they've been treated under the the current governor. So, so we have uh, people running in all the seats on the Democratic side, and they seem to have something resembling a strategy, which is more than maybe they could have expected two years ago. Is that fair? Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to our well, well, non-political topic. What you, ha- what you have are serious candidates for governor and lieutenant governor. You know, R- Ross was attempting to tell me last week this was not true, but I will assert in his absence again that this is a, a very competitive ticket relative to past tickets. Tickets. Well, but what governor about- and lieutenant governor candidates both are big brand names. It's not somebody and an also well, we, ran. We haven't had that since two thousand two. In you terms know, of in the top two, two they tickets. had. But it went in two thousand two. It went deeper than just the top two. Yes, it did. They had a and full as far as a full ticket. It did, but we haven't had it at this field, deep yeah. since then. But I, right. I, I it's would. The, it's the deepest since two thousand two. I would argue really that Davis that. and Van Depute present a more interesting. You know, leaving aside the question of competitiveness, I think it's a more interesting ticket for the Democrats to have in in place than Sanchez and Sharp because Sanchez was really a, an unknown to a lot of people. Well, so are uh, Davis and Vanderpute. But uh, I mean, I think any well, any ticket Vanderpute may be more unknown than Davis. Any ticket that hasn't yet lost is more interesting than one that already has. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm not sure that um, Chris Bell and Maria Luisa Alvarado wow. were interesting to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Win, lose, didn't make you, a difference. Let's, we'll go back and find the Tribcast from that that primary <laughs> season. Oh, great. All right, well, let's get into some actual substance and leave the uh, the horse races behind. to this conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, we also had a, a quite lengthy – I don't know if it felt lengthy to you, Morgan. It felt lengthy to me. She was tweeting. <laughs> she, she was, it was like a hostage thing. Please get me out of here. Yes. You don't, I haven't even said what I'm talking about yet. I, last week's Tribcast is she what I'm talking she about. She and I know. Yeah. No, the State Board of Education, which people may have heard of, uh, they met last week for how many days? They met 17. They met Tuesday to Friday. And on Wednesday and Thursday, that those meetings ended at about midnight. Um, and they they heard um, lots of testimony on a variety of things. Their responsibilities were approving the state's biology textbooks and environmental studies textbooks, and then also doing a substantial amount of rulemaking on a law that passed during the last legislative session that changed high school graduation requirements. Um, So there was quite a lot for the state board to do. And oh, and then they also had to approve charter school or decide whether they would veto charter school applications. So there was a lot of news that came out of the meeting last week. I think and one of the most significant pieces of that was um, what the board decided to do with these high school graduation plans. And this is really, do student, do kids have to take Algebra 2 or not? I mean, that's really the sort of the pivot point, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's what brought Dan Patrick and Jimmy Don Acock in late at night for their cameo <laughs> <Yes>. appearances. <laughs> Missing plane flights and everything, I hear. Yes, at least in the case of, of Dan Patrick, who's campaigning for lieutenant governor. Um 
The yeah, so algebra two was the, by far the most controversial element of these graduation plans, and it's you know whether the state would require algebra two for most students who, or for students who graduate on all of these different plans was that was the big fight during the legislative session. It seemed to have been settled in favor of not requiring algebra two for all students, only students that ha- graduated on. Um, kind of a science and math focused plan. But when it came back around to the State Board of Education, the people who had opposed that, which included you know groups like the Austin Chamber of Commerce, um, MALDEF, they kind of renewed their lobbying efforts. And so when it came time for the State Board to determine kind of the details of this law, it had been thought that, that Algebra 2 would kind of come back as a requirement for all students. But as we've said, the two... Uh, State, the two education chairmen of the legislature kind of made a, a last-minute appearance at the state board and told them that, listen, this is not what the legislature intended when we passed the law, and you need to respect that. The argument here was about rigor. That's right. And I think the concern of people who want Algebra 2 to be included in all the plans is that you know, if we have if we have these graduation plans for students that don't that are perceived to be not as hard than our low achieving students and our students who are considered to be you know, more difficult to educate are going to be funneled into those plans, and we are essentially going to be creating a track for col- the college bound kids and a track for kids who aren't going to college. And there's equity concerns in that. I think there's been, you know, there's seemed to have been a lot of concern about the whole idea of, well, you know, look, we're not going to do Algebra 2, but we are going to uh, allow these, uh, you know, more skill-based or career-based math-type classes to to be inserted there. But then nobody's really listed out what all those are. And I know that some of the, you know, the Chamber of Commerce people and stuff that have been very opposed to this have have come in and said, well, you know, well, tell us what, tell us what you're talking about. If, you're, if Algebra 2 is not going to be required, what is this mythical, you know, other math course or other math courses that you're talking about? And we don't have that yet. Yeah. And I think that's some of the frustration that came up in at the State Board of Education was, okay, we're spending all of our time arguing about whether or not to require Algebra 2, yet we haven't spent any time talking about what other math cor- what other math courses you know might be students might take in its place, or even you know not even looking at math or science requirements, looking at um, career and technology courses, other things of that nature. We haven't looked at approving any of any other courses that this law was supposed to you know create and become and allow school districts to have more choices and and to be more flexible with. Do you think ACOC and Patrick being there changed the outcome? I think it did, honestly. I think that, you know, we had the we had the state board and, and the TEA came out with these proposed rules back um, a couple months ago, I think at the end of September, that had Algebra 2 as a requirement for all the plans. And I think... At that point, they started getting letters from lawmakers and kind of all the people that had testified against including Algebra 2 throughout the, uh, the legislative session. They started getting letters, but I think seeing that, you know, seeing the two chairmen of the education committees show up to the meeting and tell them straight up that they would be going against legislative intent, I think did make an impact on on board members. And you saw them reference that later when they had the vote. Um, they talked about how, you know, this is what the legislature charged us to do, and this is a vote that, that reflects that. 
How did the school board, uh, the state board of education, pardon me, acquit itself? This is the post on McLeroy. <laughs> you know, it's a different state board of education than we had a couple of years ago. The last time there was a big flurry of activity like this. It is. Um, so we had. So in addition to all the algebra two and graduation requirement stuff, we did approve. Um, Science textbooks. Can, can I yeah. go back a second just to the Algebra 2 thing? One thing I was wondering about is, and this might be sort of third rail-ish, but, uh, you know, is there a racial element to this debate? You had someone testified, you know, this this whole concept that, uh, you know, this we're over-educating our students and preparing them too much for college and that not everyone needs that is not coming from the African-American and Latino communities. It's sort of coming from the Dan Patricks and Jimmy Don Acocks and uh, and, and the thinking, I think, that a lot, a lot of people assume that sort of the wealthier school districts will go ahead and implement Algebra two requirements and the ones with fewer resources won't, which could have an effect on, you know, different ethnic groups. Right. And you see you have seen the um, organizations that advocate for uh, Latino students and for um, low income students. Um, you have seen them come out against this be- because pre- precisely because of that concern that, yes, OK, let's leave it to school district decision. But we all know how inequitable school districts are funded in the state and how how students academic opportunities already v- vary from school district to school district. So if it's going to be left up to the school districts, that's probably going to end up that the school districts that serve majority low income students might not be requiring Algebra 2 in, in all of their graduation plans. And is it the case that, um, I mean, is, students had a choice before. What the Texas Higher Education Commission always says is that the genius of the previous plan is that the college prep curriculum was an opt-out, and now it's become sort of an opt-in. And that's his big concern. And also, I mean, you see, there was a lot of talk about this. I went to this higher ed coordinating board meeting last week, and they were talking about the... I think you're going to see a big push to get colleges more involved in the advising process for students just because they think that this new setup is so complicated and sort of contrived that's going to require a lot of direction. Yeah, I mean, to kind of present the other side of that, so before we had the um, the recommended plan, which had you know f- the same requirements for all students, including Algebra 2, and then we had a minimum plan that a student could, if they, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't complete the recommended plan, they would opt into this minimum plan. And so the argument in favor of not requiring Algebra 2 in this, under this new law is that, okay, so now students are basically, students who graduate on, under the minimum plan, which is about, it's about 25% 20 to 25% of Texas students, they're not getting any kind of skills. They're not going into the workforce ready to take a job that we're just, we're basically crowding them to the side as, as chairman Eric Acock said, without any real skills. Um, And then that's not even adding however, what you, whatever you want to call the dropout rate um, of students that, that aren't even graduating on under either of the plans. So the idea behind this is just to to give more skills, opportunities for more skills to those students who aren't going to be going under under the recommended plan under in the current system. All right. Now you can talk about science. <laughs> um, so we had uh, so what came the result, the end result of this meeting was um, we had all biology books except for two and um, one environmental science book um, 
So we had three textbooks coming out of this that were approved on a contingency basis um, after for they're going to be reconsidered once a panel of experts deals with errors that were brought up um, in the environmental studies book on its treatment of fracking. And this was errors or errors in quotes. um, I think at this point, errors in quotes, because these are errors, um, at least in the case of the environmental studies that were not even identified by the state board of education's own um, panel of experts and have been um, responded to by the publisher, but the board was persuaded by the testimony of um, a railroad commission candidate um, who came and testified on Wednesday night to the board and raised a lot of doubts about how fair this book was being um, in its treatment of fracking and other other depictions of the oil and gas industry. But isn't this absurd, though? That, I mean, they, they've had all this time to review this book, and they found like a couple of minor areas that were sort of non-substantial, and then someone can come in in the last 15 minutes and say, oh, I don't think this is friendly to the oil and gas industry, and they can be like, whoa, time out. Yeah, and that was, I mean, state board members definitely brought that point up. They're saying, listen, we've had, you know, this really calls into question our own review process. If we've had, you know, a three-month-long review of this textbook that we would have ended up voting to approve had this one person not come and testify. Well, it doesn't call into question their review process. (laughs) It calls into question their testimony and decision-making process, you know. Give them the benefit of the doubt that their three-month process may have been right and they made a bad decision to listen to this one person testifying at the last minute. Right. and then, But then the response to that is, well, isn't this the whole point of having public testimony in the first place so that members of the public can come is and there we any can way, listen to Is them? there any way that this doesn't seem like a complete circus, a farce? The whole <laughs> thing seems like a farce. Well, and if you look at the, I mean, the, the publishers, is it Houghton Mifflin, mm-hmm. their response to – this person, I, I forget their name. Becky, uh, Berger Becky Berger is the name of the Railway Commission. Uh, uh, the response to her critiques, that, like, sort of line by line, are pretty hysterical, actually. I mean, some of them, they're like, actually, okay, good point. We need more updated information. Some of this is out of date. But then it'll be like, this textbook uh, says that the oil and gas industry is evil. And they just say, we cannot respond to this overgeneralization. <laughs> <laughs> and interested listeners can find this on the Texas Tribune website. TexasTribune.org. TexasTribune.org. We've uploaded the document. So, yeah, that was the environmental studies. That's going to be settled in January. Um, but, but come, yeah. Can you come back to the larger question? Did this State Board of Education, this composition of the State Board – show a better judgment or do better in terms of the brand of the SBOE than the last one did during the last fight over these textbooks where it was a national embarrassment? Yeah, I mean, I think no question we don't have, you know, national, international news outlets descending on the the SBOE to, like, you know, transmit these crazy, Texas's crazy sound bites, you know, all over the world. Um, and But I think that's been the case, you know, with the SBOE since... Uh, for you know the past several meetings where we just i mean it it's just an entirely different dynamic where you still see some of kind of the old the old issues bubble up but they're not the the social conservatives on the board just don't have the control that they used to um at, when they did it in 2010 uh, Barbara Cargill who's the new current i guess current chair, current chair. New, yeah is no Don McElroy in that respect No she's not And they did they did end up vetoing one uh charter school I think just 
surprising some people. They did. Um, They did. So this has also been the first charter school application cycle since um, a new law passed in 2013 that that moved most of the authority to approving charter schools to the commissioner instead of the state board, but kind of gave them this, I think it was really like a compromise to say, oh, well, you know, we're going to be in charge of the approving, but y'all can still veto them if you want. Um, And I think not a lot of people who are involved in um, passing the law thought that the state board might actually go against the commissioner's wishes on this, and they did. They vetoed one of the four applications that that the commissioner had previously approved. And what do you take from that? Are they just showing that they can? He's also an Algebra two Universal supporter, right? Seems like he's not... Yeah. They're not listening to him on a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think... it was probably important because this was something that state board members lobbied against the charter school bill, um, at least this part of the charter school bill, because they were they were very upset that their their power over this was taken and they take it very seriously. And um, I think that, you know, I think there were separate issues with this charter school application that had raised questions. It's a charter school that has um it's been denied it's out of Arizona but its expansion into Nashville has been denied and there are other issues but i think probably for state board members it was important to show that yes they do still have power over over this if, even if it has been kind of been put into a much narrower role than it in the past all right let's talk about uh just other goings on specifically with state representative Drew Darby Evan, you want to fill us in on, on how he's spending his Thanksgiving? Well, I don't know how. He, I, I assume he's eating turkey in, in San Angelo. What do you know that I don't know? Um, pecan pie. So, uh, the, I, 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 or you think it's pecan pie? Pecan pie. Yeah? Yeah. Is he going to have as many pieces as you? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> it's not crazy. <laughs> Drew, uh, Drew Darby, state representative from San Angelo, uh, I gather on the 14th of November was um, um, traveling back maybe back home or, or someplace from Austin, but in any case forgot that he had a, a weapon in his uh, bag. and A uh, gun specifically. A gun. Not like a uh, mace, a scythe. A Switchblade. <laughs> nunchucks. He had nunchucks in his bag. Uh, and um, uh, the, the upside of this has been that, uh, you know, he's embarrassed, I guess, and, and uh, his office, and they, they've talked about it and said, you know, he's sorry, he forgot that the gun was in his bag. He's a concealed handgun licensee. But what I think is interesting is the right is attacking him for uh, making gun owners look bad, that his forgetfulness somehow reflects badly on on gun owners. Well, Michael Quinn Sullivan over at Empower Texans in particular did a pretty scathing blog about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd... That's interesting because you'd think that this could you know, almost turn into like a rallying cry. I, say, for, I was expecting the yeah. opposite, don't you think? Well, and they're 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 attacking him for creating a rally and cry for the anti-gun folks, which but that side actually hasn't sort of come to the table yet. Well, that's that's because the the issue is this is effectively decided already. You know, you've got a candidate for governor, Greg Abbott, calling for concealed carry on college campuses with the approval of the regents, and calling for open carry. There seems to be actually a stampede toward. Open carry. I mean, it's not as if the issue is gaining momentum on the 
on the gun control side. Oh, is, is he called? I didn't realize the is the approval yeah, we, of the regents a if, clause. If, in if I'm reading Jay, if I'm reading Jay Root's yeah. story correctly today, and or not Jay Root's story, Edgar Walter's story today in the Tribune, I understand that the concealed carry on campus requires the regents. Well, that's a which nice course, that's a nice loophole. Yeah, what's great about that is that that is the status quo. So. That's not. I mean, that's not much of like a. The open like carry is different, but yeah. <laughs> oh, open carry is totally different. Yeah. Yeah, well, open carry is kind of the. I'm well, and that's just of a of a handgun. I mean, now you can open carry a shotgun or a rifle or whatever you want. It's just. That's right. It's, this yeah. would just be open carry. This would be be able to get a, a six gun and a holster and you know slap it on your side. <laughs> Yeehaw! And, and As one does. And if your order is laid at dirties. <laughs> just saying. But not through. Uh, not you can't do that. Pass the TSA. That's not a. Well, no, but I guess I'm just talking more generally about the mood right now on this issue. The mood right now on this issue is not anti-gun. It's you know, a hundred state representatives could get uh, stopped by the TSA at the airport with guns in their bags accidentally, and I don't think that the mood of the state would shift one bit on this issue. It is generally speaking an issue that has been decided. The state is pro Second Amendment. The state Mm -hmm. is is pro gun rights and. You so know, beyond all the Drew Darby's in the world aren't going to change that. Beyond a, uh, beyond having his mugshot plastered everywhere, is this going to hurt Drew Darby in the long run? Well, on, only in this n- n- no Couple court fees. Sh- short short hand no. Short term no. Uh, yeah, well, I asked about the long term. But 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 I think you know D- Darby is the issue that uh, Darby and others have is that uh, there is a r- rift in the Republican Party. We know this and. Uh, anything that is an opening for one end of the party to attack the other end of the party, that end is going to take. And so, you know, what Michael Quinn Sullivan and his side has said on this is, you know, he's made this look bad for uh, for the uh, pro-gun side. But also, he's one of the people who they're talking about to be the head of the Appropriations Committee, a guy who forgets that he had his gun in his bag, <laughs> you know, dot, dot, dot. You know, how do you trust this guy? And it's like, so, so whether I'm it's sure those things are related, whether well, it's, it's voting it's, for the budget or forgetting about like your he's gun, got a tax bill in his bag, you they're going to they're <laughs> going to come after you no matter what. It's you know this still as Evan was just saying this goes straight to the idea of the the two party system, Republicans and other Republicans, and you know Democrats aren't picking up on any of this. I mean, I guess Michael Quinn Sullivan was screaming and yelling about how it's giving ammunition to the other side, but I, again, with, well, like really Evan said, what other side? Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but what Darby, he he, for, he forgot something in his bag. I mean, it's happened to the you know Dallas Cowboy coaches. You're not much of a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it are happened you? to Ted Nugent's wife. Well, Shemaine, that can happen to Shemaine anyone. Nugent, she also had a gun in her bag. Yes. How do you, and how do you through notice? the airport. Oh, it was a news item. <laughs> <laughs> Us magazine. It is the view. We have, we have turned into the view. Well, That's exactly right. Well. I, <laughs> So as to not risk <laughs> turning any more into the view, or having Evan Smith do his Joy Behar impression. Oh no! <laughs> oh, there it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to uh, encourage you to send your questions and comments to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org, and we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Morgan, Ben, Evan, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Happy Thanksgiving. I don't know what there is. Is there other things to talk about? People want to talk about what they're thankful for? (laughs) We've turned into the view.